Well, again, good morning. Great to see everybody. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, that's right. You can hoop a little bit and holler a little bit. I'm wearing a tie for crying out loud. It's been pointed out to me numerous times. Um, but yeah, it's a day to celebrate. Today marks the beginning of Holy Week. Um, and if that's not something that's familiar to you, maybe you didn't grow up in the church or you didn't grow up in a tradition that celebrated uh, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday of this week, Good Friday of this week, and then, of course, Easter Sunday uh, is really a time where we as a church family gather uh, on each of those occasions to mark the final week of Jesus' life before the cross so that when we get to Easter, we really, really can enter into that moment uh, of what the resurrection means, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you um, to, uh, to join us on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, 7 p.m. Uh, we'll be gathered here. We'll have it online for those of you who can't join us in person, but we'd love for you to be a part of, uh, of our community worshiping this week for Holy Week. But this morning, this morning we're focused on celebrating Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday. And, and as we look at Palm Sunday, I want to celebrate and talk about hope. Uh, the theme of hope runs all through uh, this story that we just read in Mark chapter 11. So I want us to talk about hope and particularly about signs of hope. Signs of hope. You know, hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? I mean, hope is what keeps you going when everything else says to quit. Hope is what can help you see a way through when you're tempted to just give up and despair. Hope is what can say, hey, there's a future beyond today, a future that's better than what I'm experiencing in this moment. And so hope is a really powerful thing. Now, I shared a few weeks ago that my yard, my backyard in the wake of the storm looked pretty hopeless, right? Everything was dead. Uh, it was just brown, tropical plants, gone. Right? And so maybe you can identify that. You've seen that in your own backyard, just the deadness of everything. And I thought about that this week as I was preparing for this word from Mark chapter 11. Because there's a sense in which as dead as everything is and as hopeless as it looked, something happened, at least in my yard, about a week and a half ago. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I was walking past one of the flower beds. And I looked down in the dark brown mulch in one of the beds. And there was the tiniest little green shoot coming up. From the ground. Anybody else kind of seen that happening in their yard? Things you thought were dead, and yet there's these little tiny shoots that are coming up out of the ground. And now there's like dozens of them all over our yard. And so I just thought of that because our yard, and literally like right now in this moment as we're celebrating Palm Sunday, our yard, our city is covered with all these little signs of hope, <laughs> right? They're like little signs of hope. And I call them signs of hope. I say that because that's what they are. And that's actually, the scripture points us in that direction. There's a chapter in, in Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 11 of Isaiah's prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, where he says these words. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then a few verses later in verse 10, it says this. In that day, in other words, in some future day, in the future day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal or a sign for all the people of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, the shoot that Isaiah is imagining in his head, this prophecy, it points us to this dead stump, and out of that dead stump, what's coming up? A little shoot, a little green shoot. Life. 
And so it's a promise that God makes to bring life from death, a sign of hope for God's people that he would come uh, through his anointed one. This is, a, this is what's called a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. This person that this passage, this prophecy points to, uh, the Savior King. That's what this is pointing to. And so fast forward 700 some odd years in Mark chapter 11. And what we have here is a people clinging to that hope, to those kinds of words that are scattered all through the Old Testament. Words of hope about these little shoots, these little signs of hope. They've been clinging to those promises of God for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, as God has made these kinds of promises to them. And it's been hard for them to cling to those signs of hope. They've been conquered, as we heard in some of the reads, by the Assyrians. It didn't stop at the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, and now the Romans have conquered Israel. And so it's been dark. There's been a lot of reasons to lose hope, but they're clinging to this hope. They're looking for these shoots, right? These shoots to pop up, and particularly this one shoot, the anointed one, the Savior King of God, the sign of hope. And so hope, you can see the power of hope, the power of hope in our own lives, but the power of hope in this moment with the people of Israel in Mark chapter 11. That's what's going on here. And so the air, that day must have been, it must have felt electric, right? I mean, try to put yourself in this moment in Mark chapter 11. Standing there, if you were standing on the edge of Jerusalem, you would have been standing, if you could stand on the eastern wall of the city and look out to the east, you would have seen the Mount of Olives rising. And down the Mount of Olives would have been like a stream, like a waterfall almost of people coming down the Mount of Olives into the gates of the city for the Passover. People coming from all over the region to celebrate this festival of the Passover. And for the Jewish people, um, for, for us, it's, it's almost like if you took Thanksgiving and July 4th and wrapped it all together. That's what the Passover was in Jesus' day. That's what it felt like. It, it, it was this really important time to celebrate, but there was all this, these kind of undercurrents wrapped up in it, right? They were spiritual and kind of political because of their situation as being oppressed by the Romans. And they celebrated Passover because centuries earlier, God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had made them his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And he had given them a home, a land. And so Israel was again in Jesus' day in need of deliverance. Not from Egypt this time, but from Rome. And so the Passover celebrated both this past and the promises of God in the past, but also was, uh, was celebrated in anticipation of a better future. And so suddenly, in the midst of all that, someone cries out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you've got these, all, this big crowd, these people, somebody starts shouting it, and let's imagine you're walking through that crowd, you hear someone say that, and you kind of look over your shoulder, what's going on? What, why is someone yelling that out in this moment? And so as you scan the crowd, imagine that as you're hearing Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a cry of praise, God save us, Right? You're hearing these words, it's a pregnant moment, Passover, hope, all these things, all these hopes and expectations. You're looking, you're scanning the crowd. Why would someone start crying that out in this moment with that kind of passion? And so as you're scanning the crowd, what do you see? At some point, something stands out to you. And it's, I, I, I try to imagine what this was like. It must have been like seeing like Jesus' head just kind of bobbing up and down at some point, far off in the distance, right? Why, and why is it bobbing up and down? Because he's riding a colt, 
and he's maybe a little bit higher, you know, than them. Now, this is really interesting because Jesus, everywhere else in the Gospels, everywhere he goes, he doesn't ride. He never rides. He's walking. He's always walking. He's down on the ground, but this time is different. This time is different. He's riding this colt, a young donkey. And so as people begin to identify him in the crowd, this kind of fervor builds. They're excited to see, oh, that's that rabbi. That's that rabbi Jesus, someone says. I've heard about him. I've heard about his teaching with authority from God's word. I've heard about him because he's, he, he talks about God like nobody else talks about God. Not only that, he does signs and miracles. And, wonders. and I heard just a few days ago, he raised, he raised somebody from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, right? Like you've got this, this Jesus. This is Jesus who's coming now into the city. And so others are realizing what's happening. They're stepping off the road. They're making way so Jesus can pass. They're throwing their cloaks down before him. Palms are waving. And, and so Jesus is entering into uh, this moment that's pregnant with hope and expectation. It's a powerful kind of mosaic, right? A, a, a menagerie of signs and symbols of hope. And this one about the cult is in particularly really significant. Uh, Jesus riding the colt is a symbol of, of who he is. It's a powerful symbol. Uh, he is riding an unridden colt into the city, the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem. And that's a, that's a right reserved for kings, for royalty. And so he's riding this, in, but he's also doing it because it fulfills a prophecy. There's this ancient prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. This is what it says. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's, that's Israel, the people of Israel, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Again, another euphemism for Israel. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy points to this colt as a symbol, and the crowd knows it. This, is, this seems kind of peculiar to us. Like I would just pull, they, knew, they know this. Right? This is in their consciousness, this word from Zechariah. And so they know this, and, and, and their, their excitement is building. Could this be? Could this be the promised Messiah? Could this be the Savior King of Israel? And their excitement's building. And they're imagining things are falling into place. And they say, Hosanna. Hosanna. And the highest blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so their hopes begin to change into these expectations, right? He's the one. If he's the one, then this is what it means for us. And so these hopes turn to expectations. And, 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 and the expectation is basically this. Today is the day, and Jesus is the one. He's the one we've been waiting for, right? He is the king that we've always wanted. And there's truth in that. Jesus is the one, and he is the one they've been wanting and waiting for. But there are also all kinds of other expectations that are kind of in the mix. Uh, some expectations would have been something like this. Well, he is the one, so he's going to faithfully lead this holy Jewish army like those of David and Joshua before him, and he's going to clear Palestine of the Roman legions and restore the city of God. And with miraculous power, because he's got, he's got power, we've seen it, he's going to take that power, he's going to drive out all these soldiers 
uh, and he'll march from country to country, kingdom to kingdom across the globe until the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that all the nations will bow before him and glorify God, right? Now, you can see there's a, there's a mix of things in there. So when they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, that's what they're talking about. They're imagining this earthly kingdom being manifest before them through Jesus. And so, again, this moment kind of builds, right? And so Jesus is riding in. He's the one. This is the moment. Everybody get behind Jesus. Let's go into the city. We're going to take Pilate down. And then what does Mark say in verse 11? What happened next? (coughs) Nothing. Jesus went into the city. It says he looked around. And he left. I mean, talk about a, just off a cliff. There's nothing. Like I thought, Jesus, I thought this was the big moment. You're going to take down the world. Instead, he's like on a sightseeing trip. It's so weird. I mean, maybe we're so familiar with the story. We don't see that. But like Mark is stressing that point. He's very clear in making that point. Jesus went in. He looked around the temple and he left with no fanfare. I mean, I imagine, we're not told this, but I imagine he's walking out of the city and maybe there's a few broken palms on the ground, but it's dusty, it's late, and maybe there's some murmuring crowds kind of going out, but it's just him and his disciples. Nobody's paying attention to them. They just leave. They go back to Bethany and darkness falls. Now, why, why does Jesus do that? Why did Mark make that so kind of clear of a point? I mean, maybe Mark is making a point here about Jesus in terms of hopes and expectations, right? Maybe he's making a point uh, about the Jesus that we maybe want and the Jesus we expect versus the Jesus we actually end up getting, an actual Jesus who is the true king and savior of the world. And that gets confirmed, right? When we go on through this week, as you come to Monday, Thursday, you come to Good Friday, you go into Easter, what's happened is... It's become very clear, this, this, this is a strange king. This is a strange uh, assault, right, by this strange king. Because within the week, the only crowds that are going to be calling out to Jesus are those calling for his execution. Within days, this triumphal entry, the only voices raised to Jesus are going to be jeers of Roman soldiers and those who call for his blood. Crucify him. Hosanna. Crucify him. Hosanna, crucify him. How how does that happen, right? How how did it go from one to the other? How do we go from from Jesus entering into the city like this to the moment where he's carrying out his cross, abandoned by his closest friends? How do we get to that moment? It leads straight to the cross. The next week leads straight to the cross And you know what they put on the top of the cross, right? Y'all remember what they wrote on the top of the cross? What did they write? King of the Jews. King. Oh, he's a king, all right. We'll show you what we do with kings here in Rome. We crucify him. So they crucified him. Hosanna, Hosanna, you're the one crucified. King of the Jews. And so we're left you know, Pat, Pat, uh, Palm Sunday has always struck me as this, it's such a strange day. Because on the one hand, it's like, Hosanna, 
I mean, I was up here in the front waving my palm. Praise God, because he is the one true king. And yet, there's this kind of undercurrent that's supposed to make us feel uncomfortable. Because we know even as they were saying that, they didn't understand. They didn't understand. And so it brings so many questions, I think. How do people turn on him so quickly? I already mentioned that. How can Jesus be the source of so much hope one minute and then rejected the next? Were their hopes simply misplaced? Were they wasted on Jesus? Many in Israel still think that today. Jesus wasn't the one true king. And what about us? What are our hopes in Jesus? I think that comes up for us. Is hope in Jesus real hope or is it wishful thinking ultimately? I mean, a, a king who leads to a cross. We sure we want to follow that king. Are we following the Jesus that we want? Or are we following the Jesus that we need? Now, that comes up for me. Has Jesus met our expectations? And if not, what are we going to do with him? Hmm. Perhaps most importantly, it leads us to ask, what exactly, I think, were Jesus' hopes that day? I haven't really talked about that. What was Jesus' hope that day? Got the crowd, got these prophecies, but what about Jesus? The Gospel of Luke and Matthew give us a glimpse into what Jesus was thinking and feeling as he rode into Jerusalem that day. In contrast to the exuberant, triumphant crowds, we're told that Jesus wept as he entered Jerusalem, that he wept over the city. And he said these words, he said, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace for shalom, for God's restorative salvation, for his wholeness, for life. If you had known what makes for that, what makes that possible. But now, it's hidden. It's hidden from your eyes, he says. In other words, Jesus had hoped they would see him for who he was, but instead the crowds were blind to the nature of his kingship. And what was his response? It broke his heart. He wept over the city. He wept over God's people. He wept for the world. He encountered and he pitied the people who cheered and celebrated him as king, at least in part, for the wrong reasons, with the wrong expectations. People who only saw in so many ways the Jesus they wanted to see. I love how the 19th century uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon described their expectations um, and the contrast of Jesus. This, this is what he said. He said, this is a strange king who wears no sword but rides along in the midst of his people conquering and to conquer a strange kingdom in which there is the palm but no sword, the victory but no battle, no blood, no tears, no devastation, no burned cities, no mangled bodies. This is a king, a strange king, a king of peace, a king of peace. This is his Dominion. It is even so in the kingdom over which Christ is king today. There is no force to be used. There are no carnal weapons. They are out of place in his spiritual kingdom. His armies are loving thoughts. His troops are kind words. The power by which he rules his people is not the strong hand and the stretched out arm of the police or of soldiers, but by deeds of love and words overflowing in benediction, he asserts his sovereign way. 
That's what the kingship of Jesus is like. And so they had read the prophecies, right? They'd read and they saw this moment in history. And in so many ways, they saw the Messiah they wanted to see. They saw the Savior King who would fulfill all their hopes and dreams. And the truth is, they're not the only ones that do that with Jesus. I do it. We do it. We know what that's like. To to imagine the Jesus that we want, as opposed to the Jesus who really is. So I think another question for us that we're left with is, what exactly is it that we're hoping for when we come to Jesus? And if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, what or who are you actually hoping in in your life? Ultimately, Palm Sunday forces all of us to ask exactly what it is we're hoping for and who or what we're hoping in. It's tempting to want the Jesus who is winsome and draws all the crowds. It's tempting to want the Jesus who can help us get things done, right? I fall prey to that. The Jesus who's going to set everything right, who's going to solve all the problems here and now, who's going to defeat my enemies, To want the Jesus who's going to fulfill my dreams. The Jesus who's going to bring lasting happiness to me. Jesus brings good things. He brings joy. He brings healing. He brings wholeness. We taste that in this life. But as we read in Philippians 2, that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, it's not now. It's coming. It's coming. When he returns, he will be king and everyone will acknowledge it no matter what. But in this moment... In this moment, what Jesus' kingship looks like in our life is not us getting everything that we want from Jesus. And that's the message in a lot of churches today. A lot of churches say, hey, are you looking for purpose and direction? Jesus is your guy. Are you looking for a better place, a better status in the world, and want to make the world a better place? then join the Jesus movement, right? Uh, After all, isn't that the goal? Isn't that why he came? He he came to deal with all our problems and to fix everything that's broken and make the world a better place. Isn't that why he came? Well, yes, but (laughs) there's a big B-U-T. Because if we're honest, I think we have to say that Jesus came for so much more than that. And Palm Sunday reveals that. The cross reveals that. And the truth is, we are way more comfortable with the Jesus of the crowd than the Jesus of the cross. Way more comfortable with that Jesus. Because while Jesus of the crowds may be the Jesus we think we want, the truth is, he's not the Jesus that we need. See, Jesus will make your life better. I promise, he'll make your life better. Jesus, um, though, won't give you everything you want. He'll make the world a better place, but he's simply not going to make us better people and eliminate all the bad people. Jesus did come to save us, but for more than our circumstances, more than our unhappiness, more than our disappointment with life, more even than our own selfishness and pride, he came to deal with the root cause of all of those things. He came to deal with the root cause of all that in us and in the world, the true source of all that plagues humanity. He came to deal with sin. The crowd thought the Romans were the problem. 
They wanted a king who would bring victory. They failed to see it was the sin, the oppression of sin, that was the ultimate real problem. They were blind to their need for a king who would dethrone not the enemy out there, but the enemy in here, in their own hearts. And they couldn't comprehend a king whose plan for salvation meant laying down his life for them, a king who loved them enough to go to the cross and die for them. They couldn't see Jesus as that kind of king. But Jesus is a king like no other. Jesus is a king like no other. He's the king whose kingdom extends beyond borders and nations to every human heart. The king with power over sin and death itself. The king who took all the sin and all the brokenness of all of humanity throughout the world and took it on himself. And he said, that sin, I take that sin. And I, I shed my blood for it. He was nailed on the cross for our sake. He was crucified. And it's this king who has delivered us from ourselves and from the oppressive rule of sin in our lives. That's the king, King Jesus. So Palm Sunday reminds us that this is the, this is the Jesus that we need. This is the true king who came to die and to rise from the dead. That's the king we worship and we remember this week. So just in ending, I, I, wanna, I just want to ask you, where is your hope right now? Where is your hope today? It's easy to say, well, Jesus. But, I mean, think about it. I mean, pray about it. Reflect on it. Where is your hope today? Maybe you've been living through some deep disappointment. Maybe there's some really hard things over the past year, things that didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to turn out. God didn't do what you wanted him to do. He didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. And it's tempting to resent God for things that have not or have happened in your life. It's easy to do that. Easier than maybe we want to admit. It's easy to resent God. But I just want to ask you, what if, what if he isn't the reason all the things uh, haven't gone the way that you'd hoped? And since what I mean is, what if he's actually the one who could give you real hope in the midst of all those disappointments and pains? What if he's the one who can actually give you true hope that's beyond your circumstances? What if hope in Jesus, of his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his life, what if Jesus offers the hope your heart desperately needs this morning? Maybe today is the day you surrender your life to this king. Put your trust and your future in his hands. The truth is, it's pretty easy to worship and to believe in a God who gives you what you want or what you think you need. Right? The real trouble is, what do you do with a God who doesn't give you what you wanted? And I'm not talking about trivial things. I'm talking about the God who doesn't give you desires of your heart. Right? The God who doesn't give you healing from cancer. The God who doesn't uh, heal a broken marriage. The God who hasn't answered that heart cry prayer of yours that's been there for years and years and years. The God who doesn't rectify that painful situation in your life. What do we do with that God? I'm not saying that he can't or won't heal. I'm not saying that he can't or won't 
reconcile and restore. He does. But in the midst of life, the good and the bad, there is hope. And the question is, where does our hope rest? Is our faith in the true King Jesus, that that hope that no circumstances can take from us, that's the hope that we need, our hope in Jesus. So maybe you need hope today. Maybe you're feeling hopeless about your job or a family situation or a friendship, dating life, your future, whatever it is. I just want to encourage you, don't lose hope. The message of Palm Sunday is a message of hope. And it's rooted in the person of Jesus. It's a hope that delivers us from the power of sin and death and a hope that can lead our hearts uh, to Jesus himself and empower us to trust even in the midst of a difficult past and present and even future. He invites you to trust him and to live in that hope. I said earlier, it's strange that we celebrate Palm Sunday as we do. Uh, We march, uh, usually sometimes we march into this room, we carry Uh, palms and we wave them around um, and we imitate, right, this crowd from Palm Sunday some 2,000 years ago. And I think at the same time, we're doing the same things that those who did 2,000 years ago were completely blind to when it comes to Jesus. And so this is a call. It's an invitation for us to pause and to reflect and say, okay, we should celebrate Palm Sunday. But we should also ask in the midst of a moment like this that God would open our eyes to who Jesus really is. And that he would give us a hope that's not founded on a God who does what we want, when we want, how we want it, but a hope that's rooted in the person of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The Jesus we follow is the king of the cross. He's not just the king of the crowd. The Jesus we follow is the king that we not just want, but the king that we need, desperately, desperately need. He took our place on the cross. He's defeated the powers of sin and and evil and even death itself. And through him, we can have eternal hope. That is the good news. That is the message of Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.